Hello, welcome to episode number 221 of the Apple Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by BetterHelp.com. Get affordable private online counseling anytime, anywhere. Talk with a licensed professional therapist online now. You can get a seven-day trial with the code word Apple by going to BetterHelp.com slash Apple It's good to know that there's something out there that's discreet, it's private, and you don't need to leave your house. And if you need to talk to somebody, you can just do it. Bam, bing, bam. There you go. So yeah, so go over there, betterhelp.com slash Apolog. I'd like to thank everybody for shopping on Amazon and helping out the show by that way. You can do the same thing by going to apolog.ca slash Amazon or apolog.ca slash US Amazon. You can do it the old-fashioned way by going to apolog.ca and click on those banners located on the right side. Locate your country, whether you're from Canada, the United States, or the UK. Bookmark those links, and every time you shop on Amazon, use those links to shop and support the show, and it costs you no extra money. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash and you can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees. Hosting and gas fees. Cancel at any time. You can also buy a t-shirt by going to appalogue.ca slash shop. There's some music for sale there too as well. Subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, please. Give it five stars. It always helps. Like the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash and Follow me on Twitter, SimonHead666. Whew. Today on the show is Mr. Bill Conway. Bill Conway is a stand-up comedian and the co-founder of a website called Hard Times. He also has a podcast with co-founder Matt Sincom. The Hard Times podcast is on iTunes and anywhere podcasts are heard. It was great having Bill on the show. You guys got to go to that website, hardtimes.com. It is a funny, funny, funny satirical website, and uh, I really enjoy it. So anyways, everybody, enjoy the show. Mr. Bill Conway, co-founder of the Hard Times podcast and website on the Apple Lab podcast. I go to your website all the time and I laugh my ass off every time. I just, I can't believe how funny some people are. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been interesting with, we've been going for four years now and then people at, when we first started were like, how many jokes can you make? I was like, well, we, we got four years worth so far. We're still going. So, uh, Thanks for looking up. <laughs> there's uh, and there's you have contributors too. So it's 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 it, you you started with just you and 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 uh... it was me and Matt Sankum. So yeah, him and I started it. Uh, yeah, four years ago in December, uh, we had met through a previous podcast that I did called Edgeland, and he just randomly posted one day on Facebook about wanting to start this thing. And we, I, we just collaborated from then on. We didn't actually meet in person for like a year and a half into the hard times being a thing, but we were always on video calls with each other. So it was like we knew each other, but we just didn't know who could win in a fight. <laughs> it's uh, and you know, that's the power of the internets too, right? Where you can have online working relationships and, and just collaborate and do things like we live in a pretty awesome time now, right? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the internet has uh, allowed us to do so many things, but I, I mean, just yeah, there, there's 
I don't know how things worked back in the day. You know, I, I tried to remember, you know, before I had a cell phone when it was just like, hey, we're going to meet at the movies at seven o'clock. And then you would just go and you'd go to the movies at seven o'clock and your friends would be there and you're like, oh, how did this work? You know, because <laughs> even now coordinating it with text messages is damn near impossible. Yeah. It's always like, where are you? I'm almost there. I'll be there in five minutes. Uh, I'm running late and, and all that good stuff. But they have another thing that's even, I use it with our family. It's even more creepier, which is find my friends, which is uh, uh, an, like for the day you can share your location with your friends and it works great for fun parks and stuff. Cause you're like, well, I don't want you to know exactly where I am all the time, but for today it's going to be great. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would definitely be disabling that most of the time. Cause everybody just be like, he hasn't moved from his bedroom. This is really <laughs> sad. You get right in there. Like the Sims. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so starting a pot you so you've already had podcasts before this is that is that what I heard? Yeah, I did a podcast called Edgeland for about three years. I started it when I I had moved out of the Bay Area to Portland, Oregon, and I, I I'm a stand up comedian. And as per a law passed in United States Congress, all stand up comedians must have a podcast. And I decided since I know only one thing in my life and that's being straight edge. I will talk to straight edge people mm -hmm. about being straight edge and people that used to be straight edge about why they are not straight edge anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I got to meet a lot of uh, interesting people through that. Just, just that endeavor. It's where I met Matt, the other co-founder of the hard times. I got to talk with people like Brian Baker of minor threat. Uh, and just, straight edge. Yes. Very exactly. Straight edge, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it was a very just, a, a cool little thing, you know, it, it, it had its its core audience and then it just eventually I got busy with too much hard time stuff and it was like, well, something has to go. It's either going to be the hard times podcasting stand up or my marriage. And I, I, I decided it had to be podcasting and then but now getting back into it with the hard times podcast. Yeah, I heard I heard one today and um, I like the fact you you sort of you're still is it still growing? Is it still changing? Like, is it morphing around like? Have you set? Have you settled on like a format, or is this how? How is your format working on it? Uh, this is probably what we're going to stick with for now. We'll we'll play around with it, I'm sure. But you know, Matt and I kind of we we've been kind of anonymous behind the scenes of the hard times for so long uh, that this podcast is kind of us just coming out of the shadows and being like, hey, this is the thing we've done, and we have a couple of stories and people, you know. Here, here's what you need to know about the hard times. Uh, so, and then we talk with people we like and we try to have it be a fun conversation, but sometimes they get really serious and people are like, why is this joke website having serious conversations? And it's just because everybody can fuck off. It's called being alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I came up through like the 90s punk rock scenes and toured with bands and, and played in bands. And the reason I like your website so much is because it just, there was so many truths that are like the satire and the truth is is crossing it's bordering <laughs> and and the, it's more truth when you look at it from my point of view and i i, I don't know how you guys do it but it's it's um <laughs> i mean the, a friend of mine contributed one uh that the the warp tour is doing a reunion show at riot fest yeah that's yeah, my yeah. friend kyle he's a he's a regular guest on the show too but i just love the fact that it's you know, I don't know. It's onion for punk rock, I guess. I guess that's the only, you know. 
Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what it boils down to. And, and yeah, we've, we kind of have like a, I don't know, like we kind of stumbled across our editorial process as, you know, we were just trying to figure out how to make this website to get like, Matt has a background in journalism. He is not a comedian or anything like that. I came from a stand-up comedy background. And by that, I mean, I was doing stand-up comedy for like two or three years before the hard times got started. So I was a crappy open micer and I still am a crappy open mic stand-up <laughs> comedian, but it's, it's fine. Now I have the hard times as well. But uh, the, the two worlds just combining were like, he knew how to format an article. And I was just like, well, here's how you progress a joke. And then we realized quickly, well, we're going to run out of ideas very fast. So let's find other people that are punk and, you know, can be funny. And then we just figured out our editorial process from there. And it's, uh, it's I'd, I'd say it's worked out for us for, you know, we've, there's been some hiccups along the way, but for the most part, uh, we have a pretty democratic way of doing it where people like pitch in a Facebook group and judging by how many other contributors like that particular headline, that's what gets moved over to the editorial meeting. And then we, as the editors, ultimately decide the fate of some of those articles. So sometimes something that's a big hit in the Facebook pitch group, we actually have to say no to because maybe the onion already did this headline or it's just a bad take. You know, it's like Mm. uh, there's the, there's the saying in comedy like you're you're t- speaking to the back of the room where you're making the comedians in the back laugh but it's the general public that paid to see you isn't laughing at all so it's you're not inside. actually yeah yeah and so a lot of times we'll get big hits in our group of those inside jokes and it's like yeah but the general public is just going to reject this mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i always appreciate people that sort of take things from nothing and grow it into something you know and that's sort of punk rock you know what i mean that's more punk rock than and DIY that, you know, and I appreciate that because I think I understand how incredibly hard it is to create something with an idea and have it sort of stick and be uh, um, something that people want to read. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I watched this great documentary about the guys that created Pirate Bay and uh, it's called Not at Keyboard. And the one guy who's the smart guy who designed everything, he's like, I just wanted a cool website. It's like... <laughs> You know what I mean? They didn't want to break any laws. Just wanted a cool website that people liked, and right, so, yeah, yeah. So you have like you have thousands of people per day going in and reading things, and and uh, that's I appreciate that. I like that because it reminds me of being in a punk band back when I was a kid. Yeah, it's been kind of interesting. Like people ask us, like, well, how how can I start like a satire site and like get it off the ground and be like, ah, I don't know if that's going to happen. Like we. <laughs> The way social media works now, it's yeah. so much harder. Like we were in before the Trump election where fake news uh, on Facebook was, you know, a big talking point. And so now like even satire was uh, was adversely affected by such things, even though if it's an obvious joke, it, the, a computer algorithm can't see that. They just see an untrustworthy news source that isn't verified CNN or whatever. Yeah. And so, so it's, it's tough for you know, I, I don't think the hard times would be able to survive if it started now. Uh, even if we had the best jokes, uh, I think we we were basically at the the last dying breath of uh, not not to say anybody shouldn't try because you should do this to have fun to do it as a writing exercise and because that's why we did it. And then people actually started enjoying it. We didn't actually think uh, a damn person would read the site. We didn't think it was this genius idea that's never been done before because it has been done before mm-hmm. it 
but yeah, it just happened to fill a void in uh, on the internet culture, and yeah, people keep coming back and reading it, and I, I I'm happy about it. Yeah, it, it you know the the fact that it it resonates with people is you can't you can't um you can't uh arc- be the architecture of that it it just happens just like popular music or or bands that sort of sell lots of records it's like it's not because there's like a whole team of people trying to make this happen it's because they resonated with a group of people and they resonated with and they like you said filled the void that that people wanted and you can't you can't make that happen twice I mean, they've tried to do that with popular music. Tried to say like, mm-hmm. "All right, we we got Green Day. Let's uh, let's get another Green Day." Okay, yeah. How about that? You know, and it's usually Green Day Light, which then turns into Good Charlotte, which is like nobody wants Good Charlotte. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> fucking man sucks. <laughs> there, I said it. Controversial. I think not. <laughs> yeah, there's people ripping their headphones out right yeah, now. Like, how yeah, dare he? Yeah. I, I got my tattoos just like Good Charlotte. Just got them right. And now look at me. Now I, now I look like a fool. <laughs> you must be talking about a different Good Charlotte. He can't certainly can't be talking about the Madden brothers. Yeah. Uh, I do have a Good Charlotte story, if I might uh, help, let you uh, uh, tell you it. It's. Um, there was the there was I used to work for band speaking of I mean some forty one I used to work for some forty one I was a tour manager that, that would be part of the Canadian thing right oh, yeah it's very that's same thing with legislative laws is that everyone's got to work for some forty one uh, in oh, Canada oh interesting yeah, or the tragically hip if you if you can take that as a deep deep take um, we were on tour with it was the last show, tour I was ever doing with some forty one and we were opening for Good Charlotte and um, we were in Florida and somebody. Uh, took a, like a piece of salami and threw at one of the brothers. I, I can't remember. They kind of looked the same back then. Like one kind of got big and the other one kind of got thinner. I think it was the bigger one. It was the guitar player. And, no, no, it was the singer. And it hit him in his pants and his pants got dirty and he was like ready to cry. He's like, why? Why did you do that to me? Why did you throw this food at me? Now my pants are dirty. It was like, it was the, like, you just couldn't, it just didn't write. That can't, you can't recreate that. Yeah, I mean that's that's super punk that he's upset that his pants got dirty. That's true. You know, but, yeah, that, that's uh, it. Reminds me of. Um, I mean, I wonder what the the logic behind tossing a, a sliced piece of sausage at him would be because I remember there's an old video of Earth Crisis, the vegan straight edge band playing, where somebody throws yogurt at them and then like a riot breaks out. But it's like I understand that <laughs> if you throw a dairy product at a vegan straight edge band that's very militant something's going to happen you're oh, yeah. clearly provoking but yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> I, I wonder what the whole thing was like maybe benji or whatever said something bad about a sausage maker and print or something like that and all of a sudden he's coming back at him yeah it's true that's true and and it was like they just wouldn't talk to us for the rest of the tour which was only like two more shows but i thought wow we really we really crossed a boundary there because punk rock and food fights are that doesn't happen in punk rock tours at all. There's no way that that would happen. Yeah. yeah. Why would you goof around? <laughs> yeah. Lightweights. So, uh, <laughs> what era of uh, of punk rock did you come into? Like, where, when was your beginnings? Beginnings. Yeah. So I am 34 years old right now. So I came of punk age around 1997, 98, and that was due to a cousin of mine, he was an older cousin, and he was whatever he was doing, I was into at that. He started skateboarding, so I started skateboarding, and he was he was 
way into new metal and so i liked new metal and that was like corn and stuff like that and then he all of a sudden switched over to some like new york hardcore this is super super brief window of time where he switched over to new york hardcore so like the first cd that i ever bought that was a punk cd uh would be new york hardcore legends Warzone, uh the sound of revolution and so I had that CD, and then from there it was kind of getting into other bands. But I remember that year, I I told my mother like I only there's there's two CDs that I want. You can pick one, and it was Minor Threats Complete Discography or Guttermouth um, Musical Monkey. And she got me Minor Threat, and I remember being slightly disappointed because Guttermouth was catchier to a twelve year old, but. <laughs> over time i think she made the right choice because i still listen to minor threat and god damn it i don't listen to any gutter mouth yeah so you were you were kind of digging back then for 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 the later 90s because that was that was way before that so your cousin yeah, for sure. influenced you nicely um that's that's really cool because you kind of went back beyond sort of like where it commercialized which was you know three years before that yeah, I, I I remember uh like as I you know, my my punk rock starter kit as like the bands I'm getting into, like um my mother's from Vermont, so I, I remember being in Barrie, Vermont, and they had a small record store called Exile on Main Street. And I remember getting uh Black Flag's first four years and um Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables by Dead Kennedys. And not actually ever having heard either of those bands, but just knowing that those were the punk bands and of, you know, and, and kind of disliking them both at first and being like, ah, this is, and then as on re-listening, be like, no, nah, no, nah, this shit rules. But uh, yeah, it, it was just that. And then, um, yeah. And then as I progressed, like uh, Boston hardcore was having a, big renaissance and that's where i'm from is massachusetts and so it was a lot of boston hardcore bands around that time i, I had some friends that played in bands and it was just following them around to shows and then because I, I have no musical talent whatsoever and so i just got to tag along with my buddies as they played shows with bands that i really enjoyed yeah yeah it's cool i i went through a few times that area with uh, i toured with snfu a lot so uh, we were like Providence and Boston, but we were usually coming down from Nova Scotia area. So we'd, we'd stop in Boston, Providence, and then head down East Coast ways. But what was uh, usually like the Boston venue that you would uh, stop oh at? Oh my God, I cannot remember. And it wasn't, oh, oh I do remember. It was, um, what's that place uh, by TT the Bears around the corner downstairs? The, uh, the Middle, Middle, East. East, Middle Eastern Club. Yep. Middle East Club. And yeah. uh, I also did some shows there with a, uh, with, uh, Canadian uh, heavy metalers, uh, Voivod, which was uh, a sort of a late '80s kind of thing, and then into the '90s. But yeah, I the funny actually the thing between like me because I I kind of like all music, but I like uh, I was on tour of Voivod and I went around the corner to TT the Bears to see um, Sunvolt. So I thought that was a weird kind of a neat um, just a split that you know. I was I'd, I'd love I loved Sunball. I loved that first record that came out, and then I, then I go mixed uh, whatever Nano Man from Voivod like <laughs> down the street. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 little area of Cambridge, Cambridge. Uh, yes. That little area of Cambridge had a lot of good stuff. I mean, 
yeah, like uh, the Middle East always had shows that I was going to there. And then I know TT's the TT the Bears is closed now, but there were so many bands that I would as they're like coming up and so like, oh, they're playing at TT the Bears. That is a much smaller club. This will be a lot more fun. But then they also had like a goth industrial club like right across the street called Man Ray that closed down. Never went to Man Ray. Man Ray. I never went to Man Ray either. I, I think I remember um driving through Boston during digging the tunnels when they're all the tunnels are being dug and that yeah, was the like, big dig. oh my god that was the worst it was the worst like how long does it take for tunnels to be dug and it took like 10 years or something <laughs> like yeah that a uh, little little boston uh, facts for you that civic project ruined like all financing for all other projects like across the country because there was so much corruption and stuff like that and people were just lining their pockets like the, the Big Dig, as it was called, made a lot of very crooked people very rich mm. at that time. And uh, yeah, it forever changed how the government works on infrastructure, stuff like that. So yeah. way to go, Boston. You yeah. fucked it. <laughs> well, we were going to... Uh, well, I'm from Toronto. I live outside of Toronto. But Toronto, apparently, the rumor was, I don't know how true this is, but after The Big Dig is that we were going to get all the infrastructure and all the, the tools made to make the tunnels. We're going to come and dig in our, what's called the uh, Gardner Expressway, which is a big bridge that goes across. And then we're going to dig that in. And that never happened. And maybe that's something, some, the, some keys into that is that, no, no, you don't want crooks coming up from another country to <laughs> steal away all your, uh, all your dirt. What do they do with all yeah, that dirt? Yeah, it was... It would have been just a short drive up from Boston, a bunch of uh, just goons coming up there with being like, oh, yeah, we can get you some cheap concrete. Uh, so in, in Toronto, that's uh, I, I've i only been to Toronto once and it was on like a skateboard mission sort of thing to skate at the Olympic uh, Stadium there because the, I think it was in Toronto. They had like a almost like a full pipe, like a natural full pipe at the Olympic Stadium. That's oh, like you a, might be thinking of Montreal. And maybe it is Montreal. Yeah, Montreal uh, has the Olympic Stadium. I don't know how active okay. it is anymore. We have what's that's called the Sky Dome. Well, it's not called the Sky okay. Dome anymore. It's called the Rogers Center. So it was one of the first um, stadiums had a retracting roof. So yeah. Uh, yes. So yeah. when it was when it when it rained, you could close the roof and still play baseball. You there? Uh, yes. Okay. Still here. Still here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and there, I remember there used to be a, a full pipe in Calgary. And I thought I don't know how any if anybody ever wrote it because I saw it in the winter and I'm like how the how the hell are people gonna, how's that going to work I thought it was maybe for aesthetics so uh, right yeah so you were seriously into skateboarding uh, yeah I started when I was twelve and I still skateboard to this day uh, albeit much more conservatively but I still skate as much as I can the the skateboarding is basically the reason punk rock happened you know for me because buying the old skate videos a lot of 411 videos had a lot of good punk music because it was easy to get the rights to those songs uh i had a i eventually became friends with a guy that worked at 411 and he was telling me the reason there's so many songs that are uh on the discord record label is the fact that they'd call up ian mckay and he'd be like oh it's for skateboarding yeah just use it just you don't have to if it's for skateboarding you don't have to call me anymore yeah and, yeah so that's the reason you'd hear so much like fugazi in those videos and stuff like that which i always thought was cool yeah for sure for sure and uh i mean sorry you were the you must have been in the video gaming world when like tony hawk came out and that would have been like all punk rock and it's like you know bad religion on a on a, on a video game was sort of like 
That was weird. That was a yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I I kind of already had my 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 tastes like firmly implanted by that point. But it was certainly all of a sudden like the other kids in high school like getting into that game, and then all of a sudden they're they're becoming a little bit more punk somehow. And it's just like, wait, wait, what is this influence? It's like, oh yeah, Pro Skater has a pretty decent soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you um like? Sort of being, you were sounds like you were at the start of what was sort of like a punk that that was maybe wasn't really that prevalent in your high school or in your school at all. Were you you were kind of an outsider, were you, or you were the punk kid that everybody accepted? Like, how how did you? Fit in? Uh, so, uh, my my style has always been influenced more by skateboarding. So, when if you were to look back, I never dressed like punk or anything like that. I, I was the I wore oversized pants and shirts, but as far as high school was concerned, yeah, I, I definitely didn't have like a lot of these skateboard punk friends or anything like that. But I was pretty well accepted, mainly because for I was the quiet guy that could occasionally. Uh, crack a joke to like the class clown person, you know, so like <laughs> something would happen, I'd whisper it in his ear, he'd yell it out. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the big laugh. So I, I basically just got to uh, coast by, I never got flack from anybody. Like the jocks were on my side because, you know, occasionally I'd help them out with some homework because I was good at school and they were like, uh, and being a 140 pound kid or 120 pounds at that time, you know, it was good to have, uh, the giant dudes on the football team that were just like, yeah, nobody fucks with this guy. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you go through like university or, or college or did you, how did, how did you post? So I, I actually was able to get a full scholar college scholarship because I graduated second in my class, but then I ended up dropping out of college because I took very bad advice from the adults in my life about what I should do and then hated the college experience. I was like, ah, fuck this. I'm out of here. Yeah. What, what were they grooming you for then? Uh, electrical engineering, but I'm not a math guy. You know, it should have been like, it's like, oh, I had this full college scholarship. I should have gone to something that was in the creative arts of some way, even if it was just writing or whatever. But it, that was not nurtured because my family was a very working class family that did, did not understand that uh, there's other things to do other than uh, endless toil and work. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, I, I don't regret anything by any means, but if I could do it over again, like, oh yeah, maybe I wouldn't do a very math based, uh, uh, you know, major when I absolutely hate math. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. Your parents are funny that way. I, I'm a parent. Uh, are you, are you a parent yet? You, no, no, not a parent. Yeah, I'm a parent and I have a 15 year old kid who's going to start driving in about four weeks. And, Does that terrify you at this point? Oh my God, absolutely. Like, it's like, you think of, I think of what I was like at 15, 16 years old, and I think he's sensible. He's just, he's a good kid, but it's like, how do you, and he likes, he likes hip hop, you know what I mean? So he, does, he doesn't, he started off sort of liking punk rock, like his old man, and then, but like, like true genetics prove that they do things to kind of fuck with you. They don't, they don't, the kids, they're not supposed to like what you like. And I, I get that, you know, I understand that part and I can, I can appreciate it, but there's this constant battle to try to push away a little bit. Like, I don't need your help. Can you give me a ride to school, please? You know, so it's like <laughs> these moments where it's like, they're just getting, you know, figured out. I mean, did you sort of have that dynamic with your parents? I did. You know what I mean? I was like, I don't need help. And then I was like, I really need help at times, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember getting in an argument with my mother one time about like, and you know, in sixth grade, I wanted to get like my nose pierced or whatever. And she's like, no, that's stupid. And I'm glad she told me not to do that. You know, like in hindsight, it's like, yeah, you know what? She was right. That was kind of stupid. But I remember getting an argument about like some jeans that I wanted to buy when I, you know, like freshman year of high school. And as I was arguing with her in the car, she was just like laughing. She's like, I've been waiting for this for so long that this, this argument, like, what does that even mean, mom? Quit ruining my life. But uh, yeah, my, my mother and father were always, they never, like my brother and I are both straight edge guys. And like, so I think we were able to, uh, in my parents are not straight edge people, but they were always just kind of confused as to like, wait, how come you're not carrying on the family tradition of knocking back a pack of a uh, pack of booze, you know? Like, yeah. so it, I think they were always a little bit confused as to what music we were listening to and why we weren't like smoking cigarettes behind the school, you know, it's a little, <laughs> little confused. Age old tradition, right? You know? Yeah. You, yeah. It would be bad. Yeah. But, but yeah, um, it's, it's interesting to say that. Cause I, I know if you, I have straight edge, friends that are still straight edge and i have friends who are no longer straight edge and what i found out is the people that weren't that stopped being straight edge at the age of like 24 were monsters they were crazy like yeah because they had sort of either they're trying to make up for what's considered quote-unquote lost time Mm -hmm. or if they're taking up alcohol they don't know how to handle it right yeah the, the alcohol thing, you discover your limits in the basement of like the cool parents house at age 15, but you know, and you, and you start throwing up at age 16 and then you kind of mellow out by that. But when you start at 24, you're a full, fully actualized adult that's out in public. And all of a sudden you're getting in fights all the time. It happened to plenty of my friends as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, it is, it is a strange phenomenon, but yeah, it's uh, for sure that making up for lost time thing is a is real deal. Yeah. And being straight edge sort of in the early 90s to mid 90s, <clears throat> there the friends of mine that were, a lot of people, like there was a lot of sort of people sort of staying in the bedrooms because for some reason they, a temptation thing or just saying like they couldn't relate and, you know, and, you know, I, I, I you know, did you gain any perspective? Like, because you were still a straight edge. Do you have like a, an understanding of both sides of the fence now, or is it just still militant? No, not drinking, not going to do it. So yeah, since I did that, that podcast uh, for three years, like where I talked with so many people that are still straight edge and people that are no longer straight edge, it like really was an interesting thing to hear all the different reasons why people are straight edge, why people decided not to be. And yeah, a lot of perspective was gained because I've, my straight edge influence you know obviously came from like minor threat you know there but the the bands that i really listened to the most were like kind of jokey power violence bands like charles bronson which was a straight edge band but they had a lot of jokey satirical lyrics and so to me like straight edge is a serious thing that i don't really take that seriously but it's because i believe that there is a spectrum of people that like you got people most people are somewhere in the middle but there's the people all the way to one side that never want to get chemically messed up in any way then there's people all the way to the other side that all they want to do is get fucked up and i just happen to land on the far side of the spectrum like i've never had any desire to do it like there's never been curious about it if straight edge wasn't a word i still wouldn't do any of that it's Mm -hmm. just i've had i just i am a 
just a guy that just doesn't care for that sort of thing. And there happens to be a word about it. And I think it's kind of a fun uh, dynamic because I think the, the straight edge militancy can be funny sometimes, but like it's, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. It's straight edge is super weird. And anybody that makes it past age 30, I think everybody's just like, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. But uh, it's when you're 18 years old that you're drawing big fat X's on your hands and thinking you got to scream at people. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I understand. And I, I, I played in bands with straight edge people and I toured and I, I toured as a sound guy with people who were straight edge, like Russ from Good Riddance. He's been straight edge. Yeah, I had him on my podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've known those guys since like 95, like when they did their first tour in Canada. And I ended up touring with them in like 2001 uh, on like a two month tour or something. So I've known Chuck and, and and when you look Chuck and Russ are like two completely different people and they have a an appreciation for each other musically and whatever Chuck does he drinks you know Russ doesn't drink but Russ is like super militant about it like he's judgy too like just a bit judgy and he knows it you know what I mean and he he knows it and it's like how do you you know you can't have a conversation with people who are judgy because there are like like we were saying there's there's two sides of every story and there's people that just fall right down the middle people have a glass of wine at dinner and 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 not have any sort of um, problems i think the, the problem the people that who drink a lot who have problem with straight edge is that they think that straight edge people straight they think that straight edge people think that all they do is drive around drunk throwing beer bottles at the car and that's not necessarily true and i'm sure you know that right, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, actually, that's what I believe anybody that's ever imbibed <laughs> does. Uh, I mean, I've, I've certainly noticed that in my life where people like kind of knowing that I don't drink like, like, uh, like if they if there's a, dr- a social situation where drinking is happening all of a sudden they're like well i don't actually drink all that much anyway it's like i don't care what you do you know like i i i don't drink and if as long as you aren't trying to force it upon me then then we're good you know you can you can live your life how it is uh but yeah i've definitely there's been multiple social occasions where that has happened where people have to stop and defend them you know against my what they think is my internal train of thought as they as they drink, it's like, which is usually just like my train of thought is where, where's the, like, do, do these people have a dog? I want to pet their dog. That's usually <laughs> what I'm thinking if I'm at a party. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, my, my, I had a friend, uh, this guy, Dave Sams, who lives, lives in, uh, Edmonton, who, who used to travel around and he's straight edge. And he says the most fun people in the world are people that drink. <laughs> he says they're hilarious. He loves them. You know, you know, he said they're just fun, you know, because he had grown up in the time of straight edge where people just stay in their bedrooms. They don't go anywhere because they don't want to, they don't want to feel tempted or something or they don't want to, you know, which is, it's, it's a, he, he's like, he, he got through that phase too, you know, that phase of like being too, being careful about everything or having a different, you know, being so guarded of the, of the fact that there was other sides of the fence and other stories, you know, and being young and having like a point of view when you, it's so polarizing sometimes, you know, it's like, I just want to have this point of view and that's it. This might be in like an extreme analogy, but I I feel like a lot of times with people that like 
claim that you know they 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 say they want to be straight edge at age age sixteen or something like that, and then all of a sudden they think that that is a uh, it has to be a lifelong choice or else they are invalid as a person. But it's like so they become more vocal about it, or you know, and it's almost like a person that is like a homosexual that is in the closet and hates the fact that they're inter you know internally they might have these feelings but can't. Be public with it so i know it's an extreme analogy to compare being straight edge to being an, a, a closeted homosexual yeah. but uh, i think there's the same kind of logic behind it of like well no do what makes you happy and then you won't be so uh so angry about it and i think a lot of straight edge people you know might just be curious about hey what is it like to get drunk or drink every i don't even want to get drunk but maybe i want some wine with dinner every now and again but then they get angry because they've put this own limit on themselves and yeah i, I don't know if if you're straight edge and you want to drink start drinking you know nobody's stopping you it's yeah, your own that's it's true your own you built. yeah you're a grown-ass person you know and then there are some people who obviously became straight edge in their 20s because they were raging alcoholics and knew that there was a problem and were smart enough and self-realized enough to say, okay, maybe uh, maybe I shouldn't do this because I can't do it. I mean, even Russ has said, yeah, I used to drink and I was, I was really bad at it. So he just became straight edge, you know, and that was his way to com be a better person. And, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty powerful. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> to, to, you know, and, did you did you go the vegan route or the vegetarian vegan? Yeah, so for the longest, I mean, since I I was twelve, you know, I've been, you know, I, I've never done a, a drug in my life or anything like that. And since I was twelve, and I discovered the word straight edge, I've been calling myself straight edge. But for you know, most of my adult life, I've eaten meat, and then. A few years back, my wife and I were like, let's just, let's go vegetarian. You know, like it's a, it, it will be, we, we moved to Portland in Oregon. So by law, you know, you kind of yeah. have to be vegetarian there. They still have uh, the free flowing uh, drinking fountains in Portland? Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. do. A big waste of water. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as you don't have one that like a, like a homeless person uses as a bidet, you can uh, basically get some, some good water there. But, uh, and then within the last couple of years, I, I, we've, we've both, my wife and I have both gone vegan, which has been, you know, I, for me, like a bacon cheeseburger was like, oh, I'm going to a restaurant. I'm eating a bacon cheeseburger. How many dead animals can I get on this thing? Because it's mm. going to be delicious. And then I've I've just become more and more soft over time where it's like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have watched that YouTube video about mm -hmm. these pigs getting slaughtered because I'm fucking, yeah. oh, they got me. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I, I am vegan now and it. I was able to go vegan. I live in Los Angeles now, but I was able to go vegan in Portland and it was super easy because there was a lot of great vegan food in Portland. And it was, I, I don't know if it would have been as easy to go vegan in any other town in the world other than Portland, Oregon, because just how many good options there were there. So, mm -hmm. uh, but now I, best, best decision I ever made to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. And the, and the, and I, there's way better menu options like today everywhere you know because i do remember touring with vegetarians and it's like um i was touring with us in a few and brent was a vegetarian and they said i want a veggie burger and it was like a burger with like lettuce on it well you there's veggies on your burger <laughs> there you go you're welcome you know and it was, that was somewhere in the middle of america somewhere and uh that was that was that was the explanation and then you know even now like the the grocery section has like vegan and vegetarian options that 
I don't remember that being around like 10 years ago. You know, it's, it's good. Yeah. Being, um, I used to eat a, this is no lie. And people, friends in my life can, can confirm this, that at least four to five days a week, I would eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's like a night. So it'd be like five pints of Ben and Jerry's a week. I would put that shit down. Like it, by the pint, it was just, I'd go skateboarding. Then I would, I would eat a pint before bed. So dairy was like my thing. Um, and so I thought the hardest thing would be giving up dairy, ice cream, or finding like something to eat cereal. I, I wasn't a big fan of soy milk. Almond milk takes like battery acid to mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and all this stuff. But there's a brand of oat milk called Oatly out there. And man, those, those, I think it's from like Switzerland or Sweden or something. Those fucking magicians. I tell you, it is, it's, it's to, like they sell it at this Whole Foods that we have close to my house in Los Angeles and it sells out in like a day because people will buy like eight cartons of it and hoard it. I have currently in my refrigerator eight cartons of the stuff because if doomsday comes, I'm, I'm ready to go just because of that Oatly right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the uh yeah the the fact that uh you know where Toronto I mean where I live I live in the uh, kind of the country a little bit I mean like there's thirty thousand people in my town so I guess that's pretty big but uh, the the there is the grocery store has it and that's I mean like I said that's a completely different option than it was when we first moved here I and mean, that was twelve years ago so I I feel that it's it's a the shame about it is that it's because of economics that people will buy it, you know, and it's not because they're actually doing better for humanity or for animals or or themselves. It's it's now turned into a commodity where it's like, oh, let's let's get that and we'll put a price tag on it and we'll I mean that's I guess that's the nature of pure on capitalism, but yeah, it's a it's a sad story to think that, well, I mean, thirty years ago you couldn't get food like that. You know, and you probably get the shit kicked out of you for trying to get a vegetarian burger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is like the, like when, I don't know, uh, being a vegan and, and the reason I did it is not for health reasons or anything like that. I did it for ethical reasons. But at the same time, I will buy the vegan pints of Ben and Jerry's ice cream knowing that 95% of the money they make is off of dairy cows and that they still have problems with the fact that they have this. So yeah, like you said, the capitalist culture doesn't allow you to be 100% ethical because if a good vegan burrito company comes out, all of a sudden Tyson Foods swoops them up and then it's now going to a major killer of chickens and turkeys across the United States or wherever, but yet they're just selling this vegan brand that they don't really label as a Tyson food product. Yeah, and free range. Free range is not... I mean that's that, that's not a that's just a word. I mean that's a trademark yeah, now. Give, <laughs> they give the chickens a window to look out, you know, and then all of a sudden they're free range. Yeah, yeah, the free range part. I, I when I was uh, like sixteen or seventeen, I worked at a free range uh, chicken um, place where they grow chickens, and then I would come in after they were all taken out and sort of get a, a backpack, a wind blower thing, and blow out the the chicken whatever shit and stuff and i got all stuck in my <laughs> eyes and i would get infections but it was like it was like fucking <laughs> like a great job it was horrible it was like a concentration camp for chickens and they had the <laughs> the label of free range chicken because of the square footage versus the amount of chickens on the property and that was like that was yeah it was like the dachau of fucking chicken 
<laughs> and it didn't affect me. I mean, I had chicken this for lunch, so maybe, maybe I'm just a dumb ape like everybody else. But it's um, there is definitely like I appreciate that people you know we that want to make that change in their life, and it, and I would do it for health reasons. If someone said, "Hey, man, you should probably lay off the burgers because you might have some artery problems or something," I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do them. You know what I mean? So my selfish reasons is so I don't die of you know artery failure you know artery clogging so yeah right. that's well, why yeah, i mean th those selfish reasons still uh help out you know other things down the line though you know like mm -hmm. uh it's um yeah but as you were talking about a little bit earlier just the the i think the science of vegan food has definitely been enhanced by a million you know where mm -hmm. there's like uh there, there's there's a place in Los Angeles that my wife and I will eat at. It's called Burger Lords and they have a vegan milkshake there. And we bought the vegan milkshake. I took a sip of it, told her, you ordered this wrong. You got the non-vegan one. She's like, no, there's only, they only have vegan ones. Like you're a liar because <laughs> this clearly has dairy in it. I wish you wouldn't lie to me. Uh, and then, so I went up to the window and the guy's like, no, it's vegan. Like, all right, well, I'm the biggest dumbass in the world and I'm sorry for uh, ever doubting you, my love. Uh, but uh, it, to me, like when, when people are like, oh yeah, they're, that food is good for being vegan. Like it's getting to the point where it's like, no, it's just good. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not a, good for whatever it's it's just good but i mean and also it comes down to yeah geography of where you are because yeah i live in los angeles where there's going to be these places that make fancy things but somebody that lives in the middle of nowhere does not have access to that and therefore they are still uh, you know reliant on having to go to like a mcdonald's or a burger king or something like that because economically speaking that is all there is available and that that's all there is to it you know there's no other way around it yeah i think mcdonald's meat is pretty more vegan than uh than we probably think <laughs> at this point it's all, a lot of mealworm in there yeah yeah that's right it's like uh, they call it 100 percent beef but they say it's a trademark that's what that's what all the that's what all the uh the conspiracy people minded say that that 100 yeah. percent beef is actually no it's just the name <laughs> they, they do they you can see the executives yeah. they do the quote hands yeah, when they say two fingers yeah there's these two like little scrunchy fingers on top by the side of it when you go to order it <laughs> so los angeles um a big culture change i guess from portland um is it did you move down there to to, to sort of be close to where the action is because of the website or did you did you move down because you've always wanted to move kind of like to los angeles yeah it was a mix of all those things, you know, growing up in Massachusetts, I mean, you know, Toronto, the East Coast, there's winters, it's cold, it sucks. Um, and so I grew up, I spent 22 years in Massachusetts. Uh, there was one snowstorm that finally set me over the edge. And I just happened to have a friend that was moving out to San Francisco uh, when I was, you know, 22, 23 years old. And so I was like, I'm coming with you. We moved out to San Francisco and I've been on the West Coast ever since, but I started doing stand-up comedy when I lived in San Francisco and San Francisco is the most um, expensive city in America, like as far as rent is concerned. So having worked in a warehouse and my wife uh, was a, a baker, we could not afford living in that city. So we moved up to Portland, continued to do stand-up comedy there. And the website started to take off. So then it was just a logical thing like, yeah, kind of where is the action? And 
the winters in Portland are all of a sudden getting a lot worse. We're shoveling a lot more in the winter. Let's go to a place where there is no snow, where if something were, if, if we get lucky with the website or some great break happens, it's going to happen in Los Angeles. So why not just put ourselves there and hope for the best? Absolutely. I have a friend that moved down there. It's almost got to be 20 years ago now. And he went down, he chased a girl down. There was a girl down there and he went down to sort of hang out with her and, and he's like, I'm moving here. I'm moving to Los Angeles. I said, okay, yeah, that's great. I'll, I'll see you in a couple of months. You know, he goes, no, no, I'm actually moving here. And he married the girl and then it didn't happen. Like it, 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 it ended. And then he met another girl and even like this beautiful, awesome person. But he started a, a website that um, sort of started as like a Facebook for casting agencies. And it's called Frontier Casting. And he's sort of on that, that verge of actually making like taking casting into like the new generation of how people do things like apps and databases and and he is there now like the you know what i mean the the pepsi cola of that genre and that's very powerful because anything and you go to la and you want to there's a lot of people like that that want to go down and make something and do something but the problem is that there's 30 million other people that want the same thing and I find that frightening. That that's my personal point of view. I find it frightening because being a little fish in a big pond is scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely had have those like same reservations. Like myself, like doing stand up comedy, you come to Los Angeles where all the greatest stand up comedians in the world like call home more yeah. or less, mm-hmm. and. But then, you know, you go to open mics or whatever, and you see like, oh, okay, there's levels to these, and everybody works their ways up to a level you know and so but now i'm in a place where it's like you don't you don't get to suck as much or uh, you don't get to suck in obscurity now it's like hey time to raise your game a little bit Mm -hmm. so i'm actually more motivated by that than discouraged by it where it's like okay well we're here now now it's time to do something uh more or less and i i just kind of like that and also it's it's sunny here 350 days a year so i mean (laughs) Can't beat that. I brought my daughter down there last May to uh, to. I took her to Disneyland, and uh, it was a father daughter thing. She's she's turning twelve, and I thought, you know, when she's thirteen or fourteen, she's not going to even want to be associated with her dad. So I, right. I, I there was like a, like a preemptive strike at when we argue at the age when you're fifteen. Remember this time that we're like taking these rides and having fun time. But it was what was called the gray maze or something. It was cold. It was like it was like sixty eight degrees, and we're at Disneyland, and people there was babies in full on like, like, like outfits, like winter outfits, and we're walking around in like short sleeves because sixty eight degrees is like that's good, you know. That's for yeah, that's us. tropical right it's there. Totally, yeah. And it was it was a different type of weather, you know, because it's dry. You know, it's not like Ontario is very humid in the summer. And so we're having the best time and people were like freezing, shivering in line and stuff. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> that's what's happened. We've turned into, I guess we're a bunch of pussies now, I guess, <laughs> with the weather. Yeah. Uh, my my wife is from Alaska and I'm from Massachusetts, but oh, we wow. have both... Yeah, we we have both acclimated to Los Angeles, like where it's like, oh crap, it's going to be below sixty degrees. We gonna we need to grab a, our parkas because oof, we're gonna we're gonna freeze to death out there. But yeah, it's it's definitely funny. Just like don't tell my friends back home like how bundled up I am in this weather. <laughs> Alaska, wow, that's a yeah. I've never been to Alaska. I always wanted to go, but I hear in the summer the mosquitoes are like furious. They just will eat you, fly away with you. Yeah, they we 
where we've gone back to visit Alaska a couple of times and gotten like a cabin out in the woods. And my wife actually has these really adverse reactions to mosquitoes where she doesn't get like a mosquito bite. It turns into like a welt mm. and they look super painful when and it's just like, why would you want to come out here at this point? If you know, these mosquitoes are going to be here. Like we, this is, you're killing yourself. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they were it's at some points like walking through just like a wall of mosquitoes. You look at your arm and it's just infested. And yeah. And, but uh, a lot of majesty up there, but also a lot of goddamn blood-sucking mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, website is doing good. The podcast, uh, we're going to make sure that we get the podcast uh, put on the description and, and all that stuff. And podcasting is like one of my favorite things to do now that I'm a father of two and I don't go on tour anymore. And it's it's one of... To me, it's the closest thing to uh, being in a band for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe because I get to talk to people who have sort of been in the scene and meet new people. And that's like, that's the power of, of this, this medium. And let's hope it stays unregulated and free and piratey and kind of rough. And uh, yeah, it's the Wild West and it should stay that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really, uh, I wish you luck with the podcast and the website is like I said, always very entertaining and fun. Thanks for doing the show. It's too bad we couldn't uh, meet up with uh, with Matt. He's probably stuck in traffic somewhere. Yeah, well, Matt's up in Pacifica. He's in a different part of California. We actually are still remote guys, so we uh, we don't get to see each other that often. But uh, yeah, I think uh, he he has a, a a week ahead of him as far as. Uh, Social engagements are can we a little bit of breaking news? We we have the Hard Times has a book coming out later this year. We just got our first round of edits back from the publisher, and so our lives are going to be miserable as we edit this labor of love for the next uh, week or two, and then hopefully the final product is uh, something great. But yeah, as for for our next uh, week or so him and i are going to be stretched extremely thin and probably we're going to take a swing at each other next time we see each other in person well i I appreciate you doing the show man thank you so much yeah my pleasure thank you and that was mr bill conway of the hard times website and podcast and sweet good times good to meet someone that's i love doing this podcast for that reason i get to meet people and uh, thanks mike for hooking this interview up Mike from Earshot. It was a good time, and please send me more of that. <laughs> so, everybody, don't forget to shop on Amazon. Don't forget to use the promo code. Um, what's it called? Applelog. When you go to betterhelp.com slash Applelog. And don't forget to uh, be a patron. Patreon.com slash Applelog. Applelog, Applelog, Applelog. All right, everybody. So, next week, I got another great episode lined up. I'm not going to tell you who it is. But it's a band I recently discovered, and it's uh, one of the guys in that band. So anyways, have a great week. Have a great night. Have a great day. Have a great year. See you again. Oh, don't forget to... Oh, go... To, oh, God, I forgot to do this. You got to put the... Um, I'm doing the Ride to Conquer Cancer again this year, and I have to raise $2,500 uh, to cure cancer. So if you want to help that out, um, the link will be in the description. Thanks so much. Have a great night and see you later. Bye.